One of the best things about doing this podcast is that I get to speak with exceptionally bright and innovative people. Well, today is no exception because my guest has launched an all-out war on food insecurity, and he holds himself accountable to greatness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by a leader, an innovator, and a dreamer, Dion Dawson. His organization, Dion's Chicago Dream, is dedicated to solving food insecurity in the Chicagoland area. This week's episode is about logistics, resilience, and just being brilliant. Dion explains what food insecurity is about. He's creating resilience in the community, and they deliver food in a way that treats their end user with respect and dignity. The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production. Dion, I say this to everyone, and I mean it every time, but I especially am so honored that you're part of the podcast. Let's start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself, about your dream, and a little bit about your organization, please. Absolutely. Uh, Dion Dawson, I am the chief dreamer uh, and founder of Dion Chicago Dream. Uh, which is a nonprofit uh, fighting food insecurity in Chicago through last mile delivery and logistics. Um, and the dream was simple. The dream is just to um, uh, approach food insecurity uh, with the same innovation um, and evolution that we see outside of the, the food distribution and philanthropy. I wanted to bring that here um, and I wanted to you know, evolve something that has been the same for quite a long time. You're a leader. I love the whole chief dreamer uh, title. I think that's perfect and and so well done. So let's start with the basics because you use the term there, food insecurity. And just so everyone's all on the same page, explain what you mean by food insecurity. Absolutely. Uh, food insecurity, uh, it, it differs from hunger and that food insecurity is the lack of consistent access to healthy options. So, you know, when we talk about food insecurity, um, we use it not only to to call out that specific thing that we want to fight, but also we're using it to hold us accountable not to just give anybody food and say that we're fighting hunger. Um, With the food insecurity being a little bit more zoned in, it's a way for us to hold ourselves accountable to not only address a problem with food, but to do it in a way that stabilizes access and stabilizes the quality that is being offered. So th- that's going to drive me a little bit differently than what I had planned on on doing. So is this uh, distribution to uh, an end consumer, to someone uh, in a household that needs the food, but how do you do it so that the distribution method is sustainable? It, oh, oh, listen, it's okay. We can go down this rabbit hole. Uh, and I think it's important. <laughs> and so, you know, when we talk about what has traditionally been done, traditionally, there has never been any last mile delivery in philanthropy, in food distribution and philanthropy. And so what you've traditionally seen is how we feed our communities is eerily similar to when we see emergency food operations when there's been a tornado or some world uh, class event. So what that does is it exposes a lack of infrastructure when you're talking about programming on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year basis. And so how we do it 
we understood that first and foremost, the end user, and in this case, in philanthropy, we're talking about people who self-identify as food insecure, meaning we take them for their word, not mm -hmm. us putting them in a defined space. And so when we when when we think about the end user, we want to make sure that their experience is optimal. We want to make sure that, okay, if their only experience is receiving of the food, then obviously the way that they receive it has to be amazing and what they receive has to be amazing. But those are two things traditionally in food distribution and philanthropy that has not been tracked in the last mile. And so the what, what we realized we needed to do was we needed to take that innovation and, and the template of Amazon and of HelloFresh and bring that into philanthropy so that we can have proof of delivery, so you can have that, that accountability and assurance. And we can also have a cadence so that we can know how much we're giving them and how often we're giving it to them. And so what we did was we started it by understanding that we're going to need to deliver to their door. So by doing that, we need sprinters so that we can have a consistent delivery model that does not hinge on people using their personal vehicles, number one. Number two, we also understood that what was being put at the door would have to be the freshest produce possible. And so in doing those two things, it, it showed us that we needed to buy delivery vehicles. And we needed to make sure that whatever is being placed at their door, it, it, it has to be the freshest possible. So we decided that we were going to draw a hard line with buying our produce and not taking any donated produce. Because when you take donated produce, you're, of course, giving, you know, whoever donated it a tax write-off. But more importantly, you can't plan proper operations in terms of your, of your logistics because you don't know the, the, um, the shelf life of what you receive. Right. One week you might get something that has three days of shelf life. Another day you might get something that has to be consumed immediately. If you don't set that standard on what you're receiving, then ultimately you're not going to be able to, to stabilize, you know, your logistics and your operations. And so in doing that, we, we took a hard line in two major areas that went like in a totally different way uh, than tr traditional philanthropy. We don't take donated food. And we don't allow anyone to volunteer with our organization. Wow. Uh, the, the innovation that you have here uh, is absolutely amazing. But the other thing that jumped out at me about your answer is the dignity that you're giving to the end user here. There's no embarrassment. There's, absolutely. you know, it's a, it's amazing. Very, very well done. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes with the end user. So there's a lot of interconnected circumstances here, right? To food insecurity. Yep. You, you talk about five or six different things and I want you to talk about as many, as much of that as you want to. Um, but the one that I wanted to call out first was something that really jumped out at me and it was the life expectancy gap as a yes. privileged white dude who never had to worry about food insecurity. And I wish you could see me on camera right now. I never had to think about this, right? And so I'm getting an education today and I'm just so in awe of what you do. But you talked about the life expectancy gap. And I think you said it was as high as 30 years of a gap difference for people who are experiencing uh, food insecurity compared to people who live in a neighborhood just a few miles away. 
Talk about that. I mean, that's astounding. Well, yes. I mean, when you talk about uh, the neighborhood of Streeterville, um, as opposed to a few miles south um, in Inglewood, uh, where I'm from and a lot of other areas, it is the biggest life expectancy gap in the United States. Um, and what we're saying is not, not all of that is only food, but it just shows you that when you don't have consistent access to having your the, the critical needs stabilized, you mm-hmm. can't even begin to talk about the social services. And so that gap alone is alarming. But, but when you talk about that privilege that you've had, understanding is that some of the things that are commonplace in your life and what you expect a neighborhood to offer that is just not the case in a lot of other uh, communities of color. And so, you know, in Englewood, um, in, in some areas, there is no grocery store at all. There is only, you know, uh, you know, snacks at a gas station or snacks at a liquor store or something like that. And so even when you talk about having the ability to buy the, the fresh options, your food is secure there. A lot of people that that scratch the surface of food insecurity, they think it's only about people not having the money to buy the fresh options. But in some areas in Chicago and all around the United States, there are no fresh options. Mm-hmm. So even those who can afford it or somehow bring the the their their uh, resources together to buy it, they don't even have the ability to buy it. And that's what that age gap is about. The age gap is not just about, you know, the the lack of resources to buy the food. It's pointing to a lot of different things, even, you know, the the lack of access to buy the food when you have the money. And so, you know, thinking about that, that the age gap is alarming. But just specifically speaking to the food, it's also about us committing ourselves to maybe just solving one piece of the puzzle. If one of the things, when you talk about that age gap, if one of the, the factors is access to fresh produce, then then Dion Chicago Dream is committed to making sure that we do our part with that piece of the puzzle to make sure that every single day we're chipping away, which is what we've been able to do over the last three years to the tune of now we're at about 45,000 pounds per month of brand new fruits and vegetables to about 31 of Chicago's 77 neighborhoods. That is just incredible. Uh, and what you described there, I think you used the term food desert, is that you know when there's just no options in the neighborhood. And again, all of these things are interconnected. Uh, it, it might not necessarily be about poverty. It could be about transportation. It could be about a disability that prevents people from getting out and getting, you know, driving nine miles. But, but I will, but I... Go, go ahead. But yeah. I will tell you, I just want to make a correction there because I didn't say... Uh, food desert because you know there's different terms you know some people use food desert uh some people use food apartheid because it's by design and so i want to hold space for everyone's okay um the terminology that anyone attaches themselves to uh because what's important is that we know that some of it has been naturally occurring after it was by design so you bring in systemic racism you bring in redlining you bring in a lack of resources and a lack of opportunity and you just create this system where um, a lot of different terms have been given to, you know, something as simple as saying that our people need fresh food. Now, a food desert is one thing, yes. maybe just sort of by natural progression, there's not uh, grocery stores in a, a specific area or neighborhood, but then you used food apartheid, which is more systemic and more intentional. 
Absolutely, absolutely. When you talk wow. about food deserts, you're just speaking to the 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 lack of access. And then food apartheid is about a system of segregation that kind of divides those with access to an abundance of nutritious food to those without it. And some of that is due to systemic injustice. And so, you know, want to understand that both of them kind of address different parts and different reasons of why it uh, we're in the situation we're in today. Are the worst conditions directly linked to neighborhoods of color? What what the data has has shown is that while there may be outliers in terms of food insecurity rates in certain neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the data has shown that that it is it is uh, concentrated in communities of color. Yes, so a, a, a vast majority of the worst conditions are in communities of color. Yes. Uh, but we know in the emergency management field that communities of color suffer, uh, and all you have to do is go back to New Orleans in Katrina and see what happened there. And I like what you said uh, earlier about how traditional philanthropy in the food service industry represents or models so closely what happens in an emergency. I thought that was uh, really quite telling. Let's talk about your program's offerings, because there are three here that we definitely want to call out. These are exciting. Uh, I'm I'm so happy to hear about these. So so talk about what your program does for the end user. Oh, absolutely. And um, we're actually going to it's, it's funny because um, even though um, the new one has been added to the website, um, this will be the first time me, of me going on record to talk about it because we're going to launch it uh, in about the next week and a half. Um, but nice. the first one, of course, is Project Dream Free. And Project Dream Fridge is a community fridge that we started with. We started with no money. But we started with a community fridge that was outside of a liquor store on the south side of Chicago. And we stocked it every single weekday with brand new fruits, vegetables and water um, early um, right in the middle of the pandemic. We started in 2020. We still use it to this day, but it's the only community fridge uh, that we have because what we saw and what we learned from that was that. If we didn't put food in this fridge, there would be nothing uh, to put in there. And so what we saw was that we had, um, our next evolution from this idea how has to address the fact that everyone can't get to this fridge and assuming that everyone would be able to fill it uh, with fresh produce in an area that lacks fresh produce, uh, it just wasn't ideal. And so that kind of lead, um, of course, if you're in the Inglewood neighborhood, you can mm-hmm. go to that fridge nine o'clock in the morning uh, until supplies last. But what that uh, then got us to was Dream Deliveries. Dream Deliveries is our flagship program where we deliver a week's worth of brand new fruits and vegetables directly to the doorsteps of residents all over the Chicagoland area. Uh, They reach out to us, they call us, they get on our wait list. Uh, We only collect the name, address, uh, how many people are in the household and uh, um, a good mobile number. And then from there, they're placed on our wait list. And then after uh, we secure the funding for them, they get all off of the wait list and they get a delivery once a week of about 10 pounds of alternating fruit and vegetable boxes. Uh, All of the produce is brand new in Dream Deliveries. Um, And because we're going directly from buying all of our produce to boxing it, to getting it to them, um, it's not only the freshest produce that they'll see, including what they see in the stores, uh, but also it only costs us a thousand dollars to provide a household with a year worth of uh of dream deliveries and so now we've been able to make them food secure 
for only $1,000 per household per year. Our average household size is about 5.2 uh, residents. And right now we're at 1,000 households uh, 1,000 households per week in 31 of Chicagoland's 77 neighborhoods. Um, but the uh, the exciting development is uh, our new program, Dream Vault, V-A-U-L-T, is about to launch. And what our Dream Vault is, is our trademarked um, locker system where we're able to partner with a big box store, put our Dream Vault in the store, and we'll have the ability to enroll up to 150 households per week at this vault where they'll be able to use a QR code, walk in the store, uh, because we're only going to enroll people within a one mile radius of the store so they can walk there if they have to get their box with their QR code and then use whatever money they have or whatever else they want to do inside that store, thereby increasing the economic activity and footprint of the store, while also making sure that the people who are benefiting from the program are the residents who are most at risk. Um, we're launching our first dream vault uh, inside of a Save-A-Lot store uh, within the next couple of weeks, and we'll, that, that vault alone We'll be able uh, to to provide uh, fresh produce for about 170, uh, 150, 175 households within one mile of the store um, to the, to the tune of about seventy thousand pounds of fresh produce annually. That is incredible. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. The innovation that's behind this is exactly what we need. Fill in the blank. It could be anywhere in business and. In charities, in anyway. other uh, organizations, yes. I, I, I'm just massively impressed by by the work that you're doing. What kind of feedback have you gotten from some of the end users who have benefited from this? Do you have any stories that jump out? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I'll, I'll tell you this: um, we we don't need stories because we do a biweekly, um, and I'll break down uh, my three teams, and then I think. You know, at the end of that breakdown, you'll understand why I said that. The three teams, um, we have 23 employees who all make at least $20 an hour. And our three teams are the build team, which receives our food when our truck pulls up with our shipment, builds out our boxes, and then um, also fills our boxes and puts it in our cooler. And then we have our delivery crew, which comes in uh, every day, Wednesday to Sunday, 5 a.m., loads up the sprinters, starts the route dispatching software, and they're off doing their deliveries as well as capturing proof of delivery. And then we have our community resident liaison team. And this is what ties directly to your question. Our community resident liaison team does a bi-weekly touch point where they're collecting perception-based data around our programming, um, the the process receiving our food how they how they're feeling as a result and that all of those six areas uh creates a cumulative dream score and right now we our dream score is about a 9.93 and we've never dipped below a 9.5 and so what we're able to see in our in-house evaluation and data collection which will go into perpetuity is we have an idea of how our recipients feel in real time. And mm -hmm. so in doing this, we've created our own internal dashboard so we don't have to use uh, anecdotes or stories to to prove the vi um, um, how viable our program is. I think a lot of times when we talk about uh, programming that is public facing, we rely on some of the most extreme uh, anecdotes or stories when we don't have to. We know that we're getting there. We know that they that they love the service. Why? Because our score indicates what we what we're able to do and it's updated every single day that's amazing again with the innovation good stuff now 
obviously you're helping with food insecurity, but that's not the end goal here, is it really, Dion? I mean, you want to use fresh food as a catalyst to transform lives. So what do you mean by that? Well, I, what I mean is that what we've been able to see at the Chicago Dream is food is just a demonstration project. What we want to do is we want to be able to build out the system and this network, which we've done, where we can address critical needs so that then we can deploy social services. It is inefficient, um, insufficient that we can, you know, when it's the hotbed issue, we can put 30 million to mental health and 3 million to food. And it's insufficient that we can put 30 million to food and 1 million to mental health. What we want to do is make sure that all of these critical needs are being met by all of the people who receive services. So everyone has a fair starting point um, and they can live the best possible life. So when we talk about transforming lives, we're talking about knowing that these 10,000 households have food, shelter, and clothing that has been addressed by everyone who wants to help help us address them. So then when we start deploying the social services um, and the other programs, everyone has had all of their critical needs met. And we've done it in a way that is respectful and meets them where they are, as opposed to them meeting us where we are. I love that. I haven't planned on asking you this, but what's what's behind this? Like, what's What's the motivation for you behind all this? I think the it's a it's a, a few things. You know, of course, as an organization, as a leader, um, I would be nothing without my team and without my community. And I think that, you know, starting that accountability there every single day, uh, being so thankful and so appreciative that I get to do this um, a, as a career, um, as a hobby, um, and, and making sure that when we talk about creating jobs and we talk about providing produce that, we're building a system that that really shows people that it can be better, that they can be appreciated. And, you know, looking at at innovation and seeing it within, you know, our grasp and knowing that, you know, we're industry leaders right now. And and and, and that's the thing that's behind it. There's a lot of behind what we're doing. There's a lot of intentionality behind what we're doing. There's a lot of fun behind what we're doing. I truly enjoy this. I truly enjoy, you know, us building a brand, you know, with with brand equity out of nothing three years ago. You know what I mean? Building a logo that is recognizable, building a team that is smiling, building, you know, a list of recipients that that know everything we say to be true. We've actually held ourselves to that standard. And so, you know, that is just some of the things every single day that that's behind the scenes, but in behind, you know, and, and, and part of the engine of the dream team movement. So I think I know the answer to this one. I've seen uh, this on one of your posts, but I ask all my guests to tell me what song that they would love to have played maybe when they walked onto a stage or when they walked into the office and it's the most fun question, but it's also very insightful. It it, it really lets me uh, understand a little bit more about people. I would imagine yours has something to do with Tweaks the Chicago Fire. I don't know. Tell me, what song would you pick there, Dion? Absolutely, Deanna? absolutely. Um, it would be Tweaks the Chicago Fire. He uh he is the the author and an artist who created the Dream Team theme song. And in that song, it wasn't planned. Um, it was a, a, a surprise gift. But in the song, to hear a, a Chicago native speak about what we we were doing and what we built without any type of you know research and development input from from myself or our organization um, is one of the greatest gifts you know I've ever received and this organization has ever received because you hear that 
from a third party perspective. Wow. And that song, um, you know, there was no edits. There was no, please include this. It was literally just, you know, someone seeing what we're doing and and it, it inspiring um, a piece of art um, that, that, you know, not only do I appreciate, but, you know, um, when I hear it, it's something that just really motivates me to to continue going, um, and and it's so catchy. You know what I mean? It, it's really catchy. It um, is. And that's definitely what what you know, I would play uh, now and into perpetuity um, until he creates a remix or a part two. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, side question here: How do you, how are you funded? Uh, we're funded through traditional, you know, uh, individual donors as well as grants. Um, we've had a, a, a couple, a couple federal grants, but primarily, um, uh, historically for the uh, for the totality of the three years we've been operating, we've been more than sixty five percent funded through the public. Every um, donation on our website, every dollar, every five dollars, whatever people want to give, um, they become a reoccurring donor on our website, and we just show them why being a part of the dream team is, is is some of the greatest you know philanthropy that you can be involved in because we hold ourselves accountable more than any donor more than any grant uh more than any mentor could it's it's us holding ourselves accountable uh to greatness and we love that and we wanted people to know about the dream and ultimately we want people to donate so what's the best way for them to donate and what's the best way for people to connect with you absolutely um and uh of course uh, financially, uh, donating at www.dionchicagodream.com, D-I-O-N-S chicagodream.com. Um, we are a federally recognized 501c3, um, as well as finding us on social media. You know, we're on every social media platform at Dion Chicago Dream. Please follow us. Please share the videos. Please leave comments. Please join what we're doing because all of that, um, that is a form of currency as well. You know, what I mean, being able to spread this model and showing what we've been able to do is vital uh, to the lifeblood of this organization. Yeah, and I appreciate you, man. Keep up the good work. I'm just amazed by what you're doing. Thanks for stopping by today. Absolutely, Mark. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank, thank everybody out there as well. I want to thank Dion Dawson for being my guest and talking to us about Dion's Chicago dream. What an amazing guy. Uh, We have another great guest lined up next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. And now I'm going to just say it. Let me turn it over to Tweaks, the Chicago Fire. Hey, Dion, every superhero got his theme music. This one's for you. Thanks for the services you do for our communities. Brought to you by the community. I go by the name of Tweaks, Chicago Fire. Thursday morning, we at your doorsteps. Cardio, we getting more reps. Package produce that's so fresh. In the go, and we go west, south side, north pole, east, with a gold set. Not eating is wrong. You believe like I believe in Dion's dream. Donate for the cause, cause it's helping us all. Contributions big or they small. Provide food for people like you and the less fortunate, y'all. Onions, carrots, and berries Plenty fruits and the veggies Every weekend it varies Dion's dream to feed families You could see us in traffic Know we gon' make it happen Onions, carrots, and berries Plenty fruits and the veggies Every weekend
again, it varies. Dion's dream to feed families. You could see us in traffic. No, we gon' make it happen. See us in traffic, no we gon' make it happen